The force is strong with the solar industry on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is Thursday, December 17th, 2015, and joining me to talk all things energy and materials is Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. What's up, guys? Going pretty good, I think. Uh, interest rates, that's what's up. Yeah, interest rates. Oh, my God. That actually leads us right into our first story here. Um, everybody running it, run for the hills. God help us all. Fed just jacked up rates 0.25%. And then nothing happened. Well, the market rallied, but it just gave it all back. So, what's it? Is it down today? Yeah, it's like down what it was up yesterday. One and a half percent today. Um, actually, you know what? That's right. It did keep rallying after. Either yeah, way, it kept though. rallying after Yellen kept, Yellen kept talking, and I was like, okay, you apparently like what she's saying. Yeah, like, basically, just the economy's strong enough, and we were interest just rates aren't rising about, fast enough. So, it's, yeah, do you guys care about this? Like, we were just we talking is, about it beforehand, and I see, and this is my personal opinion, the Fed rate hike. I feel like was a lot like the Y2K scare back in 1999. Like everybody was panicked about it and people were talking about all these hypothet- hypothetical situations of all what could happen. All the nuclear weapons are going to go yeah, off how at it once. it was going to be this staging point of, you know, r- inflation or whatnot. It's like, Algorithms it, aren't going to know how to handle uh, non-zero interest rates. Yeah, because we've had al- zero interest rates for seven years and we jacked it up a quarter percent and everyone just went blah. They're Whatever. saving the confetti for New Year's, all right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that I can see is like higher interest rates might lead to a high, or stronger dollar, which could lead to more pressure on oil but prices. The dollar's already rallied in anticipation all year. Yeah. In I mean, well, that and because like, other countries are easing monetarily, right. like we were doing years, like in the last seven years, we've tapered off from that. But other countries are following suit, so their currencies are getting weaker. We're the strongest country in the world. So our dollar Certainly reacted positively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, it's funny, too. I mean, it does work in our advantage, too, a little bit, going like to the energy sector event. You know, we've been, talked a lot about the oil boom, natural gas boom in the United States. We're still a net importer of oil. Mm-hmm. And so with a really, really strong dollar, we're getting a pretty good bang. Well, it is denominated in dollars compared to other people. But, you know, we, we get on imports, we get a pretty good bang for the buck. When it when we're talking about uh, yeah, so right now actually on that note, first time in forty years, U.S. producers are allowed to export oil. What's up? What? Oh, again, what? another blah moment. Yeah, something we've been, been talking, talking about, about for years. Like, yeah. when's it going to happen? And then it happens right when oil prices are in the tank, and we've had the probably the narrowest spread between domestic and foreign. But is that on a dollar value or a percentage value? Because prices are low, so naturally the spread. Because I I didn't dive in to look at the exact numbers of the spread. It's but. it's on a percentage. I don't I, I don't have the numbers in front of yeah. me. But it was pretty close. I think there was actually a point last week where uh, West Texas Intermediate sold at parity to Brent. Okay, so, so yeah, then even on a percentage basis, it's closer wow. than normal. Because yeah, there had been like double digit percentage gap mm-hmm. there for a while. The irony is they did this after U.S. production seems to finally be pulling back, and they're willing to lift it, I guess, now, because we're actually producing a decent chunk of oil here, mm-hmm. even though we are still importing a decent amount. Um, is this well, good for us? As a, not, not necessarily just as a country, but for... I don't know, because we're not the cheapest producer in the world, so I don't know if we could sell at the cheapest price on the market. We still have to ship it. Um, Mexico produces its own oil. Canada produces its own oil. Those are our biggest trading partners. Um or some of our biggest trading partners. I yeah. would imagine they're both in the top three or top five. Um, 
So I don't know who we're going to send this oil to necessarily. Uh, well, Tyler, what were you telling me like six months ago or even longer about how it's, it's got our to refineries do with, yeah. it's got to do with quality of oil and our refinery capabilities yeah because we United were States. built for the middle middle east oil middle east oil heavy yeah. nasty crude that we could actually turn into right ultra low sulfur diesel and gasoline um the the theory is now is that we're producing a ton of light sweet very easy to refine high yield on gasoline type of oil, crude oil and uh Outside of the United States, refinery complexity, it's like a measure of people's ability to take crude and turn it into high-yield products. Outside of the United States, uh, refinery complexity is quite low. You look at a place like India on the – what it's called the Nelson Complexity Index. They have refineries in the three to four range, which is quite low versus a majority of American refineries are in the 9, 10, 11 range for refinery complexity, which means we can take that – Heavier. So there's a oil. little bit of an arbitrage here. Is a what little you're bit, yeah. yeah. Because that heavier oil normally sells at a discount because there's not a lot of people that can refine it. So the idea is we can take that cheap, that really, really bad oil, turn it into refined products here, and sell it at a market rate. Which and then is take, largely Canadian and Mexican oil. Exactly. Yeah. And then take our nice premium oil and uh, sell it somewhere else at a higher than rate than we can take in cheaper. He crews. said that with the jig, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. For those of you that can't see. <laughs> Tyler, you got some moves there. I know, right? I, we, we, we can did. only we do no so idea. much. The these. interest rate dance. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of, I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, there's another news site called Quartz. Yeah, I, I feel like that, we yeah. should have gotten this. They were, t- they were actual commemorable t-shirts. It says, I survived the Fed rake hike of December <laughs> 16th, 2016. And it had the chart of uh, Fed... Uh, Federal interest oh, rates. Yeah. This from zero to two, Yellen was talking about by the end of 2016 being up just over one percent. So I want a hat that says like one percent or bust or something. <laughs> what year? <laughs> by the end of 2016. 2016. So okay. a, a year from now. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. One point two five percent or bust, Taylor. <laughs> um, well, before we move on to discussing the Christmas present that Congress gave the U.S. solar industry, I wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned Focus.Fool.com. There you'll discover a special offer to join the Motley Fool's Stock Advisor newsletter for all industry-focused listeners. All Oil App listeners have access to a special discount on Stock Advisor that works out to $129 for a full two-year subscription. And if you join as part of your Stock Advisor subscription, you can check out exclusive content from Tyler Crow and I's recent trip to Houston, Texas, where we interviewed executives from National Oil Well Varco and Distribution Now. Um, and I don't know if you want to add anything there, Tyler. No, I, uh, it was just a good time. Great interviews. So we, um, I, I sat down with CEO Clay Williams for over an hour, just talking about the business in general. A lot of the things that you you think about as a long term investor, you know, not just the you know what are the margins, all that stuff, but more like leadership, corporate culture. You know, what has allowed them to kind of blossom as a corporate leader in the oil yeah. and gas space beyond just. Oh, they've got a good balance sheet. So, you know, if somebody's really looking to get into the the people end of the business, it certainly was a great talk. And distribution now, I interviewed the CEO uh, Workman, and he uh, he noted how he and his team they, they they have like leadership classes once a month or something. They hand out books and stuff. So it's definitely in their DNA to to focus on culture and stuff. Yeah, it was it was really fun to see and contrast to some of the stuff that we just kind of talk about on an everyday basis. Probably thank Pete Miller for that. Oh, actually, it totally was because um, when we went to go do them, 
uh, Robert Workman actually did mention. He's like, well, we weren't planning on doing this. And I sat down with a beer with Pete Miller and, and he's like, oh, I got this interview with Crest from the Motley Fool. These jokers do over these at the guys. Motley Fool. I don't Bull. want to do it. And Pete Miller says, you go on and you do that. Right. <laughs> Respect my authority. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so guys, I don't know if you noticed, but solar stocks got a little bit of a pop. Something like that. Yeah, a, yeah. Little, a, <laughs> a little, a little bit. As hot as the surface of the sun, those stocks. Um, Congress gave them a Christmas present. Well, they extended it's the tax giving. credits. Yeah. yeah. God bless us, well, they everyone. Give, they give the, the oil industry The Republicans had to give something to the Democrats. You get were. a subsidy. You yeah. get a subsidy. <laughs> Had to give and take here. Um, the extension actually went a little bit further out than I thought. It goes into the 2020s or something. Yeah, and even beyond. So just this is the proposed. Give deal us the primer. Yeah. yeah, this is the um, the what is it? I guess you could say the proposed bill that's on the omnibus spending. What's been added? It's basically so instead of the investment tax credit at 30 percent, basically getting chopped for all residential in 2017 and down to 10% for commercial, it's being extended all the way up to 2019 at that 30% rate for both. And then in 2020, it goes down a few percentage points. 2021, it goes down a few, a little further. And then at 2021, it, it goes down to 10%. Which is what it should have done in right, 2016, right? but that's for right? both. It's going to yeah, be yeah. for residential and commercial, okay. 10% for what appears to be perpetuity they don't seem to have a real limit on when that 10 percent subsidy goes down so taylor did this throw off any excel spreadsheets in anybody's assumptions like, for yeah, their yeah it sure seems so if you saw solar city sell off about 50 percent just a few weeks ago and now it's up 100 percent back to where it was um so yeah some people didn't see this coming because this was looming over everyone's head this tax credit right. tax credit cut now they're getting it back uh for heck of a lot longer than I think anybody would have expected. But it's amazing what they can stuff inside of a a bill that has to pass Congress before it shuts down. Because that was a $1.1 trillion spending Yeah, it was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. So it just give everybody enough to sweeten the pot a little bit to to keep it going. But um, one of the interesting things, like you were saying, the big sell-off in SolarCity, one of the reasons that it did have that sell-off was on its most recent earnings, they were talking about kind of scaling back growth and working within their cash flows. They were and talking about almost, actually making a profit, but it sold off. It was kind of a, well, they, were, they lowered was their ad, growth profiles. To those still, in here. it was like no, but they lowered it. But they was like, we're only going to grow at sixty percent a year. <laughs> yeah, or it was something. kind Come of on. an admission <laughs> that the federal tax credit in twenty seventeen was going to have was a pretty it? large right. impact. Impact, and we're going to try to adjust our business model before it got there. Before just kind of like driving to the very edge of the cliff at 60 miles yeah. an hour and then trying to hit the brakes. They were trying to tap it before it actually happened. Did uh, You guys may or may not know the answer to this, but um, Thanks for I, the I feel like I'm about to get a uh, Congress isn't that smart comment, but did anybody look when picking the year that these would drop to the 10 or the 0% that they were going to drop to next year, um, just about efficiencies of solar cells and everything? Like By the end of the decade, we think these will actually be competitive to where we don't need to subsidize them? I really doubt somebody in Congress. I, again, like that. that's... <laughs> that might Not because be. they're stupid, because, because this isn't their, this isn't yeah. their uh, avenue of expertise. I mean, I don't maybe, know if solar experts could yeah, have predicted... Maybe like a solar lobbyist might have been yeah. able to kind of trip somebody in somebody's ear, but I've, I've, I really have a hard time thinking that uh, members of Congress are looking really... So they intent- pick these years out Really intently yeah. looking at 
cost per kilowatt hour yeah. of installation or cost per kilowatt for an installation of a solar panel be like, yeah, if we start to taper at this rate, we'll be good. I, 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 I'm giving them too much credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's pretty interesting at uh, the Paris conference and, and also another speech recently, Elon Musk was talking about if you just took a, a, a small corner of Nevada and covered it completely in solar panels, you could power the entire United States. What about transmission lines? Or, that's a problem, That's right? the problem. So if you imagine just taking breaking that up and putting it in four corners of the United States, the same amount, the same acreage. Maine is not a good place to put solar panels. Well, New Jersey's <laughs> one of the biggest solar or solar states in the country in terms of like growth over yeah. the last 5, 10 years. So it's clearly somewhere in the Northeast we could do it. But um, And then this other article I read said that if you just covered the entirety of Spain in solar panels. Europe's good to go. You, no, you, you powered... The, the entire world oh wow yeah that's Spain. all it takes wow at the efficiency we're at now so right. imagine if they get more efficient which is i don't know at best 23 percent. i think yeah something like Give that or take. Yeah. cool uh well moving on to uh i don't know another one bites the dust i guess uh magnum hunter resources <laughs> dun, 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 dun. files for dun, chapter dun, 11 dun, dun, dun. um everybody obviously saw this company because i think it was a penny stock I it mean, was. It was. There's a few of those penny stocks out there in the yeah. energy. They're not the only days. one. Yeah. Um, so it was. A, it was a, almost a two and a half billion dollar company in, t- in 2014 at its peak. Yeah. So was this just a? Um, was their cash flow that bad? Well, if you like, look at a their, lot of people are doing a lot of finagling right now. Yeah. These guys just couldn't. I mean, was it that bad? Well, if you look at their balance sheet over the last like three or four years, you can just see that debt to equity, debt to capital creeping up, creep, creeping up. Creep. It was like 40 percent, 60 percent. A hundred percent, one hundred seventy percent, and now it's just too late. Like womp, womp. they can't survive. Um, their income was decent. They they suffered this the year, obviously, were just... but interest and coverage ratios just weren't there. Um, especially, I mean, this was a darling of the shale patch for quite right, a while. Yeah. Where I were mean, they, they were operating mostly? Marcellus Marcellus and Utica. I mean, in terms of like. A, an attractive place to be. Yeah, it's one of the. They weren't in Western Pennsylvania or Michigan no, or something. They oh, they were. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the Utica. Yeah, I should have guessed. So, um, right near, they were in Ohio, right in your home state. Yeah, you don't have one of their rigs no. right in their backyard. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> it's owned by some bank now. Also, yeah. on a small side note, I find there are certain CEOs in the energy industry who are very. They're very good cheerleaders, I guess you could say, for their stock, for their industry, whatever. And I found the CEO of Magnum Hunter Resources – I'm sorry. I don't have his name right up in front of me right now. But he is an amazing cheerleader and can find – Ooh, uh, I, I, I believe it's he – can, he can put lipstick on the ugliest pig because I, one of the statements that he made was this is going to be an unprecedented move that's going to – you know, make Magnum Hunter. Gary Evans. Yes. Yes. It's going to make Magnum Hunter Resources a stronger company. They're going to reemerge as one of the leaders in the shale patch again. And I was like, "Your company nope. just filed for Chapter Eleven, yeah. and you're talking about how wonderful this is going hope to be." Above all hope, it's just a reorganization. I mean, Tyler. what a great just a reorganization. Organization. Just a reorganization. Um, did he get a golden anything? I don't know. No, That's he's still no. no, he's still there. So yeah, he didn't get. It's fired. just a reorganization, like yeah. I said. <laughs> You know, it, uh, a golden opportunity to wipe out all shareholder value and yeah. then turn all the bond into equity later on. Um, and kind of thinking about this a little bit more broadly, one of the th- thing that's I think is actually kind of holding the industry back is we've talked a lot over the year. Be like, oh yeah, we need to see some bankruptcy so some production will roll off, and you know it'll help correct prices. But 
as this says in their chapter 11 um, they're going to keep pumping baby they're keeping pumping and a lot of these companies that are flying for chapter 11 are still producing and it's not really helping the situation cuz they have to find some way to pay up off those all those debts and the only way they know how to do it is pump oil mm-hmm. and so if if we're not losing production from companies going bankrupt where are we going to lose it the only th- Obviously, their capex will drop because it's really hard to approve a capex yeah, budget be, in bankruptcy court. The so national court line rates will say the drop hope. isn't going to take place yeah. But eventually. Yeah, I would think decre- decline rates are the only the saving grace there. So yeah. we shall see. Uh, moving on from Western Pennsylvania to the Russian Where are we going, where are we going next? <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, so many fun jokes we're going to be able to make with this segment. Um, Russia's for sale. Anybody at the table want to buy anything there? Not I. No? No. You don't trust Putin to not take your assets or anything? Yeah, I'll stick to America. Uh, So I guess article in the Wall Street Journal notes that Russia could sell a stake in Rosneft to bolster its finances. Um, I guess they could (laughs) sell it to the mafia? The shale geopolitical war is working. I mean, I know Russia's Russia's hurting. crumbling. Their currency's crashing. I mean, we don't know too much about their budget, though, do we? Mm. Well, we know that they're not meeting it with current oil right. prices. Other than that, I mean, they've t- they have the reserves. I think it's something continue. like forty percent of their GDP, forty uh, percent of their federal budget is tied to oil right. um, royalties. Yeah, the I was just they're producing at record levels because prices are so low. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make it up on volume. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, I was just comparing them in my mind to the budget of Saudi Arabia because I. It sounds crazy, but I'm pretty darn sure Saudi Arabia is a little bit more uh, open and honest about their budgets and stuff than Russia. Well, I mean, they might Maybe. be. Maybe. Probably, because, probably because America has a little bit better relations with Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, Who would buy this, Tyler? Like, um, well, there's BP definitely... bought it seven years ago. BP has almost a 20% stake in Rosneft. Um, I, to be honest, I would not. How's be... that working out for him? Clearly not, not very well. well. <laughs> They get a, trying to they sell get a couple more. hundred million dollars. They get a couple hundred million dollars in dividends every year. Yeah, okay. So I mean, yeah, the company's obviously pays hurting. a few salaries. I would not be completely surprised if you did see a big oil company come in and take a take a small slice of the pie. I mean, BP's obviously there, so it's not like you know this is completely a I, what would you say like a fixed book or something yeah. like Actually, that when it comes that, to their production. All joking aside, wasn't it ExxonMobil like a year or two, like when the Crimea stuff started to happen and we were all like, oh, Russia's terrible, da 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 and ExxonMobil kind of said, no, we're just going to keep you in business with them, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, they didn't shake it off. I don't know if it was Exxon, but I remember the story about a, yeah. a big oil company doing that. But, I mean, if you want access to the Arctic, this is a pretty decent shot. If, yeah. if you I mean, want access to... The multiple billion barrel uh, shale oil reservoirs, and yeah. like the Bashanov and things like that, you need to have some partner in Russia. Yeah, and ExxonMobil has worked with Russia extensively, or with Rosneft, excuse me, extensively over the years. I, I, I would not be completely surprised if, you know, we say we wouldn't buy it. Obviously, as individual investors, <laughs> it would be difficult, but. I, see, I don't see a big oil company looking at that and being like, eh, "That's not a bad idea." Do these companies worry about? being lied to or anything well, like, i mean who knows right they, they deal with china yeah they deal with they're, they're jumping at the coming of the bit to get in back into iran as soon as that was reopened back up so yeah i mean it, they're just, not pouring all of their eggs into these terrible countries they're not they're one rotten egg here one rotten egg there, potentially rotten egg so they're not right. like they're not totally putting their company on the line with these 
these bets. And you also have to give these big companies credit because, I mean, this is an ex- – oil is a what you could call a geopolitically critical resource. I yeah. mean you have comp- companies that are national oil companies basically run by states in certain places and all these integrated majors work with them in the, most of these places and uh, you almost have to give them kudos for being able to manage the political minefield that it is actually getting through this and it – I, I don't we got know. better politicians at Exxon Mobil than Congress. Um, maybe better diplomats. <laughs> diplomats yeah, yeah, diplomats can answer. Um, the other safety blanket, though, is these countries need to produce oil, and mm-hmm. since and they, they need are the most, they, are, they mostly they are state-owned. The so, like Saudi Arabia is not going to let their oil industry fail. Iran's not going to let it fail. Iraq's not going to let it fail. Russia's not going to let it fail. Right. So. There's gonna, they're going to step in and they're going to take the, per, the necessary yeah. precautions I, to ensure that these state-run oil companies are was it, uh, Total signed a deal earlier. I was going to ask you about them. It seems like they earlier in the year they yeah. signed a deal with the Abu Dhabi onshore petro- petroleum company, and it's been like a, a, a commission project, and it has some of the lowest cost production, and it's actually been one of the reasons that Total has been successful over the past couple of this past few quarters in remaining semi-profitable on its. Right. Uh, on its upstream production versus other companies. Cool. Well, that's it for us, guys. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And uh, before we go, guys, it is book week here on Industry Focus. What are some of your favorite investing books? I guess I'll start um, probably two. One of them, I I really doubt anybody's going to – I wouldn't say go out and buy it. If you can get it, if you can find a copy that somebody in a free a giveaway having, pile, because <laughs> don't go buy it. If you go on Amazon, it's sixteen hundred bucks. It's it. Don't buy it. It's uh, Seth Klarman's Margin of Safety. Great book. PDFs online. I have PDFs. It on my, you oh, can my, find uh, it. Kindle. Yeah, it's it's a really great read. Um, it's kind of like a more modern version of the Intelligent Investor. I, I think it's a really good one. Or if you're looking for something a little bit simpler, I really like uh, the little book that Built Wealth by Pat Dorsey. Cool. So Taylor, just to, like he he. Has publicly said he doesn't mind if people use a PDF. It's expensive because it's not no longer produced, so it's like right. a collector's. No, it's a collector. Yeah, it's a yeah. collector's yeah. item. Yeah. So like, don't feel bad if you're going out there and look, reading a PDF. Like he's he put it out there for general investing population to learn, learn. from. Yeah. So um, my book, I'm going to stick with energy though. I'm gonna, just going to say the frackers because um, if you don't understand what's going on in the shale revolution, how it came about, who were the key players that got it kickstarted? Who wrote that? Uh, Zucker- Gregory Zuckerman. 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 We actually okay. did an interview with him, I think, last year, right around this time. Yeah, cool. um, yeah it came out like last summer or somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um, but uh, it, it's not necessarily an investing book, but if you want to understand how the heck we're doing what we're doing and uh, what's actually going on behind the scenes, tremendous read. It's a great story, too, so you're not just sitting there, oh, my God, this is so confusing, all this petrochemical science. It's nothing, nothing like that, so no. give it a shot. It's a short read. Wall Street Journal reporter kind of went out on the oil patch and went to go learn about it and cool. yep. delivered it in a way that is entertaining. Yep. So Awesome. Well, that's, that, that's it for us, guys. Thanks. And as always, people in this program may have interests in the stocks they talk about. And the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Markerman, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.